this song is, I had to read it over a few times and think about it. Uh, it's sort of got a negative overtone, Psalm 88. So we're talking about, reminds us that when we are facing difficulties, and I know we all have, it uh, can be tough times. We feel we are alone, but the Lord and his word are always with us. That's the primary thing we got to keep in mind when we go through these things. Anyway, Psalm 88, I cry out uh, day and night before you. A song, <clears throat> a song of the sons of Korah to the choir master according to Caleth, Leonath, the Maskell of Hermon, the Ezraite. O Lord God, my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit, as a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, and for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. Contemplation. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I shut, I shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed raise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? You are wonders, are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of the forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes up to you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your tears. I am helpless. <clears throat> your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me altogether. You have caused my beloved, my friend, to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Let's pray. Father, we ask as we come together this morning, as we gather to worship you, we have to humbly recognize that we are a broken people. We are sinners. We have inherited the curse of the world and of this earth by the fall of Adam and Eve. However, you in your righteousness have given us more than we deserve and even beyond what we desire. Through your grace, your love, your patience, and your perseverance with this world. Lord, we have the honor of being in your presence. Father, you have blessed us 
beyond what we deserve. You have given us salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. Through his sacrifice, through his broken body, through his shed blood, Lord, we stand before you humbly and give you the respect and honor that you deserve and that you require of us. We ask that you help us in this endeavor in our lives as we walk in this earth. May we be a living testimony for Jesus, for you, and for all there is that will come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. invite you to stand or if you need to sit, please do. It's hard to sit through Revelation song. And continue in worship and adore you at your throne. Lord, we thank you for all that you gave on our behalf. You did not have to. But because of your deep and tremendous and abiding and faithful love to us, <laughs> who are wayfaring sinners, bent to do our own thing, bent to do things our way, Lord, you have sought to love us with an eternal love that can never be taken away. Father, you have given us salvation that can never be snatched because of what Christ has done on the cross and his pain for our sin and rising again and sealing our victory. Father, may we live sanctified and holy lives before you every day. Father, may we walk worthy of the calling you've called us to. Father, to share the good news. There is no other good news. There's a lot of false news. And most of it's, none of it's good except Christ. Father, we thank you again for this time to come together to fellowship and to worship before you. Father, we pray your blessing now upon Dan. As he now opens the word to us. And Father, that our hearts would be soft and tender. Father, forgive where forgiveness is needed. We need you every hour, every moment, every day. Father, may we put your word first and foremost in front of our eyes as we walk every step. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to be here today, and uh, just exciting. Mary, I just want you to know that 500 cans of olives will not go to waste because we put them all on our fingers and then we eat them off, okay? So just know that. That's part of Thanksgiving. So just want you to be aware of that. So anyway, it is good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen? Amen. And we have just spent time lifting up our Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our King of King and Lord of Lords, and that is just exciting. And so I just want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and just want you to uh, join me in following along. If 
You'll notice sometimes I have my Bible here, but I just I actually print it really large so that I, I can read it all. So even though my Bible is in 14 font, but uh, uh, anyway, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So if there be any encouragement in Christ, any encouragement from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not uh, did not count e equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, and and being formed in the likeness of men, uh, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said, Amen. Join me in prayer. Lord, we do ask that you would open our hearts and minds to this beautiful passage, Lord, of instruction and exhortation. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would guide us. Lord, that uh, Lord, we will we open our hearts to you today. God, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, change us. Lord, transform us where we need to be transformed. Change our hearts, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone has experienced a person who tried to rob us of joy. So when Paul was writing to the, to the church at Philippi, they were dealing with discord within the church. Why? Because people don't always get along. I just, you can look that up in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. There were two ladies that Paul actually confronts who were serving God, and somehow they had missed the boat, and they were striving against one another. They were kind of competing against one another. And, and, and Paul calls them back to unity, and that is what we are looking at today, unity. So author and pastor, uh, Dr. Paul Tripp, defines the church like this. The church is full of people dealing with the effects of sin, people who have lost their way and don't even know it, who haven't made a connection between their daily problems and transforming and the transforming grace of Christ. The church is messy and inefficient, but it is God's wonderful mess, the place where he radically transforms hearts and lives. So here's the question that we're going to deal with. What sets Christians apart to love and to be united? What keeps us from becoming from becoming a hindrance to one another. In his question, Paul draws us to the purpose of unity in, in chapter 1, 27 and 28. 
Let us there, let us uh, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightening in anything, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, so that, uh, so that, and that from God. So Paul is pointing out the basis of unity, the essence of unity, and the expression of unity. And then as he draws down through this passage, he points us to the perfect model of humility. So Paul's thoughts in the letter turn, turns our needs to withstand pressure within the church as well as in the world towards, uh, towards attitudes that would, that would categorize or characterize uh, Christians with unity, which is unity. So here's, here's a, th a thing that I wanted to think about. If someone were to ask you what is the, def the defining characteristic of this church, of EBC, what would you say? Now, let me just make it more personal. What would characterize your life, your home, your marriage, your family? What would characterize this? I, su I suspect that some of you would say um, that it is love that describes our church and defines our church. Others would say it is a faith, a faith in Jesus Christ. Paul defines the characteristic of God's church as unified. In fact, this was his petition to his Father in heaven in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, when he says, Father, make them one as we are one. That was, that was the, the prayer of Christ. At the end of the first chapter, Paul exhorted the church to unity. May they be one as we are one. So the basis of unity in Philippians chapter 127, which we've already covered, only let your manner be, be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Notice, I, I just want you to, in, within this passage, notice the words that Paul used to exhort the church at Philippi to be unified. They were to stand firm in one spirit. They, uh, they were to be, uh, they were to have the same mind, one mind. They were to work together, striving side by side for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I just want to say this is a team sport, okay? It requires all of us working together for the purpose of furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ. A team needs to work together. You know, one of the things that, um, Art, I'm going to talk about wrestling, okay? So uh, just so you know that. So uh, basket, you know, I tried basketball, didn't like basketball. That was a team sport, you know. But, you know, they're driving down the court, and then, the, you know, the, the, the front guard, he would just yell out a number like two, and everyone would kind of get in place, and then they would run. They would run uh, uh, the, this move to accomplish their goal to be in place so they could make a basket. You know, for me, I just go fooey on all that. You know, wrestling, you shake someone's hand, you grab them and you pin them. You know, that's, that, that's, that's what really matters. You win. So, you know, so Paul is pushing the church towards team unity.
towards accomplishing the goal, which is fulfilling the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just, folks, that is a team sport. That is you and I working together for the, for the sake of the gospel of Christ. That is why we are here. We are here to, to represent Jesus Christ. The church should strive as one person to achieve God's purposes. By working together and being unified, we show our faith in Jesus Christ. It is only possible uh, because of our salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone and, by and in faith alone, that we can be unified. And that is so important, folks, to understand. This is God's plan. It has always been God's plan. You know, one of the things I just want to say, this is not going to show up on the, on the board or anything, but someone says, well, what is your vision to fulfill God's plan? And his plan is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's plan is to see the gospel of Jesus Christ spread throughout the world and to be lived by you and I personally. In chapter 2, the Apostle Paul continues this thread of unity in describing the basis of, of his appeal for unity in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 2. And then the essence of unity we will look at. So let's look at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So if there be any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of, from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. One of the things that's really interesting about this language here is, so if there is any encouragement. Paul is asking a rhetorical, rhetorical question. You don't have to answer, I'm just going to throw them out. Do we have any encouragement in Jesus? Do we have any comfort in it from his love? Do we have fellowship in the Spirit and each other through the same Spirit? Do we have any affection and sympathy? He then says, if we are in Christ, of course we do. Paul then Paul uses this word, if, uh, which may in certain situations produce doubt. And here Paul is merely building the argument and assuming that these things are really true in the lives of the church at Philippi. Paul was not doubting that encouragement. He was not doubting their fellowship in the spirit, nor their affection and, and sympathy. He was not doubting any of this. He knew that they were true, that they truly existed. He was using a conditional statement to provoke the Philippian believers so that they would reflect on whether these qualities were evident in their lives. Because life does not always work out. Randy, you, you read this passage out of the book of Psalm, and you said, you know, life does, it seemed kind of negative. Life does not always work the way it ought to work. The Philippian believers had to make sure that they continued to progress in the critical area of loving one another. The church should have a common experience of grace. If we have the things that Paul mentions here, if these qualities are present within our community of church, then we should be in fellowship with one another. If these things are true, then we can.
can be united. We should be like-minded, believing the same thing and having the same love for one another. There is a strong current of unity within Paul's statement, within Paul's heart for the Philippian church. The Philippians were encouraged to live out their life in Christ Jesus and in the Spirit by living in unity with one another. To be in one accord means to be unified in spirit, to be harmonious. Unity occurs when followers of Jesus Christ have the same heart in Christ and the same love in Christ. We should seek this kind of unity within the church family in Christ, to be in Christ. I just want to say that humility is a natural expression of unity. It is one thing to say that we should be unified and even to describe what this, what that unity is, but how do we do it? Should, we should ask. How do, what do we need to do to be one? It might be helpful to consider that disunity looks like, uh, what it looks like. Disunity uh, looks like uh, 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 anything from being discontent or healthy un, uh, uh, an unhealthy conflict or mistrust within the body of Christ. It should, uh, it, it would be like being in a courtroom uh, with two opposing sides that cannot agree and a rogue jug, a judge who, who has it out for both sides. It would be like a family reunion where all the in-laws are at each other's throat. And if you've ever been there, it's not a fun place to be. I just want you to know that. So, so disunity is, is a situation where every man is for himself. And that gives Paul the basis and the essence for, for a Christian unity. And he calls us to consider how to demonstrate unity. And so as we look at this, we look at the, at, at the text in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. One way to not have unity is to pursue our own selfish desires. Paul mentions selfish ambition, which is putting our desires, our wants, our wishes, our pursuits above above everybody else and everything else. It is, it is uh, considering uh, ourselves as more important than other people. And I, I just want you to know that this kind of thinking promotes conflicts within the church, within the church family, within the church body, within any group, within any group of people. And I, you know, just think about it. Have you ever known someone who is so focused on position or title or recognition did their selfish ambition create unhealthy conflict uh, to those around them? Probably so. We all struggle with the temptation to operate in a spirit of selfish ambition. We naturally look to advance our own agenda. But conceit is countered by considering others more significant than ourselves. 
Paul realized that everyone is more significant. Let me just say this. Paul realized that everyone naturally looks out for their own interests. And the key is that the, at the same level of concern that it applies to looking out for the interests of others. Any concern of others becomes the concern of all. And I just want you to understand that. Therefore, in contrast to selfish ambitions, Paul encouraged the church to be humble. What is humility? C.S. Lewis wrote, True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking of yourself less than you naturally want to do. Humility involves the the realistic appraisal of oneself and others as being made in the image of God. We are to consider other people more significant than ourselves. Folks, people have value. People have value in God's eyes. They were created in His image with value, and we need to see them as God sees them. We are to consider others as God does. Notice that Paul does not write that we are to forsake taking care of ourselves. We know that in, the, in the, his commandment, to love God and to love others as we love ourselves. He, Paul is not saying that we need to not be concerned about ourselves. When a community cares for one another uh, uh, just as they care for themselves, I just want us to understand that disunity fades away. In fact, to consider someone less or someone else as more significant than ourselves is an example of sacrificial love, which is how Jesus uh, said the world would know that we are disciples. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so Paul moves us to the perfect model of humility. And we have to ask the question, where do we get this example? Having given the basis for unity, the essence of unity, and the expression of unity, Paul then introduces us to the perfect model of humility and servanthood, and that is Jesus Christ himself. I am reminded of the example that Jesus gives us when he washes the feet of his disciples. And he says to his disciples when they're like, what are you doing, Lord? And, and Jesus says, you will not understand what I am doing to you now, but you will later when I am gone from, from you in heaven. And I am... I am with the Father in heaven. Jesus, as Jesus humbly served, we ought to humbly serve others. With love and humility, we ought to consider others as more important than ourselves. Jesus expects all of us, all of his disciples, all of his followers to, uh, to follow his example, his example. He is the supreme example of humility and how we ought to treat others. Uh, to convey this idea, Paul used uh, what many believe is, the, is, is an early hymn written in, in the book of Philippians. And let's just look at this together. Jason read it, but I'll read it to you again. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in, in form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to death, even death on the cross. Folks, the songs that we sang today, they just directed our thoughts to that. Just Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, dying, coming to earth for the sole purpose of dying for you and I. That is a mind blower. That, that, should, just, that should just blow your minds. Amen? It, it really should. It should humble you. It should, it should just drive you to your knees in, in humility and, and thanksgiving and gratitude. One of the things that Paul uh, depicted of Jesus' example of service, it traces his preexistence, his incarnation, that is his becoming man, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension back to the Father. This is not self-exalting. This is not a self-exalting struggle for supremacy that we find here, but a deep love for God and others shown in humble deeds of service. Paul's, Paul included this hymn in the letter to encourage greater humility and to encourage the church to consider other people's interests first. Paul gave us an example of humility that we should follow. If Jesus had this mindset, then you and I should have this mindset as well. Having the form of God is equivalent, equivalent to having equality with God. However, this form of God is directly contrasted with having the form of a servant. Even though Jesus was equal to God the Father, he willingly submitted to God's will and became a servant. Christ did not use his equality, his equality with God to hold, to hold on to his divine privileges. It was not something that Jesus kept and exploited for his own benefit and advantage. This does not mean that Jesus ceased from being God. He emptied himself. The emptying of himself consisted of Jesus becoming human, taking on the form of mankind, taking on your form, my form, taking on all of our struggles, taking on everything that you and I deal with in 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 life, conflicts, struggles, daily battles, just temptation. Jesus took all of that on so that he might understand us. It is like having all the power and all the authority to do something, but choosing not to use it. Jesus willingly deprived himself of his rightfully exalted status. He exchanged his, his royal robes for the garments worn by sinful man and became a human being. He became like you. He became like me. I don't know about you, but that humbles me. I, as we sang those songs this morning, I, it just uh, it drew me to, to tears. It drew, drew my heart to, to thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for becoming like me so that you would understand me. That Jesus had the mindset of a servant. He did not come to please himself, but to serve others. In humility, he counted the interests of others as more significant than his own. He humbled himself and was obedient to the will of the Father. And though he was God and equal with the Father, he submitted to the Father's will. Jesus willingly died for those he loved 
like you and me. This is the model for us. This is the mindset that we are to have. The structure of this passage places the cross at the very center of our path to real community. Here's the big idea. There is no real community. Uh, there is no real community. There is no life without real community. There is no real communi community without humility. The cross of Christ should be our motivation for unity. In humility of self, Christ is glorified. We should be humble, considering others as more significant than ourselves and submitting to the will of the Father in all things because of Christ's humility and self-sacrifice, God the Father highly exalted him. Look with me at verses 9 through 11. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name and and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus left the glories of heaven and became and came to earth as a lowly servant. However, he left earth victorious and exalted. He defeated fear and the sin of death. He defeated the fear of sin and death. And Jesus' humiliation became the grounds for his exaltation by humbling himself on the cross. He demonstrated that he truly shared the divine nature of God, who is love in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus' exaltation included his lordship, to which every knee will bow and every tongue confess. The prophet Isaiah referred to this act exclusively to God in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 24. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me. Our righteousness and strength to him shall come and be ashamed who are incensed against him. The fact that these words are now applied to our Lord Jesus Christ shows that Jesus Christ is truly God himself. He is Lord. You know, as we, as we just wrap up this passage, in closing, let me just say this. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. I, I, really, I really believe this, that Christianity without service really is meaningless. We need to have a heart of service. We need to serve. And one of the things that we've seen in this church is just the heart of service, people reaching out to one another and serving him, serving each other, considering the interests of others. Jesus expects the same from you and me. Being a follower of Christ means that we are called to love one another just as he first loved us. It means that we serve one another just as as Jesus served us. To serve one another means that we use our gifts and our talents that God has given us to accomplish God's work and his will so that he might be glorified. We find that in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Being a disciple means that we humble ourselves and consider others more important than we consider ourselves. To do this, we need only follow the example of Jesus Christ, who humbled himself as a servant and out of love died for you and I. 
by following the example of Christ, the problem of disunity will fade away. My challenge to you and I from this text is, let us work together to be Christ followers. For he has called us to be one. Let us work together as a team, considering each other as more significant than ourselves. Just as Christ showed us, we are called to have the same mind which Christ had. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, God, we just want to admit that we struggle with our own agenda, our wants, our wishes, our own desires. God, we, we recognize, Lord, that that is a struggle, a temptation that we have. God, just to, to seek our own interest above others. Lord, we confess that for it is sin. God, we, we, just, we ask that you would call us to a place of seeing you as our very example of humility. Lord, of, of confessing, of reaching out to you, Lord, of surrendering to you, of needing you. Lord, that we would yield to your will. God, you have asked us to put the interests of others above our own interests. Lord, we ask that you would help us to do so. Lord, we thank you that you have given us that ability to do so out of obedience to you. God, we want to say thank you for the giving of your son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we just want to say thank you for your willingness to yield to the Father. Thank you for your willingness to go to the cross on our behalf. Father, thank you so much. God, we, we give you all the praise and the glory. God, I know for one that I personally, I, I need you. Lord, I need you to transform, to change my heart and this, and this perspective of unity, Father. God, transform us all, change us all. Lord, we just ask that as we, as we go out from here, as we love you, as we serve you, as we serve one another, Lord, that that unity would define this church and that, Lord, that as people see the unity in this church, that they would see not us, but you. God, that they would, they would see our good works and glorify you in heaven, God. We just ask that you would do such a thing. Lord, change, change the definition of who we are. Uh, Lord, may people see Jesus Christ in us. And we just want to say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.